today on CityCast Chicago. The police department is failing to collect adequate 911 data. What questions do you have about student loans? And I've got an update on Chicago's cutest summer animal championship. It's Tuesday, September 12th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. I'm back with lead producer Simone Alisea for another Tuesday team chat. Simone, what's up? Hey, Jacoby. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Simone, this week it is expected that uh, newest police superintendent Larry Snelling will officially uh, be approved by the city council. But an OIG report from last week says that he's got a lot of things to be focused on, including the uh, accuracy of the 911 data being collected by his department. Simone, what did this investigation outline? Yeah, OIG, that's Office of the Inspector General. And uh, the Inspector General was looking into how long it takes for police to respond to 911 calls. And the biggest finding uh, that came out of that office was um, we don't really know. We don't have the data to sort of accurately assess you know, what average times are overall. And we don't have the data to accurately assess if there are disparities um, across the city. All of this kind of stems from a, a lawsuit that was brought by an Austin Neighborhood Association back in 2011, um, where which was settled in 2021. We talked about that with Block Club Chicago reporter um, Pascal Sabino uh, a couple years ago now, basically. Um, and the the settlement from that lawsuit, basically the city agreed, OK, we're going to release this this 911 response data because neighbors were saying police are taking a long time to get here when we call. You know, there there is no expectation that that, you know, p- police are going to respond in a reasonable amount of time. And it's causing, you know, at the very least, an impression of of a lack of safety, if not an actual lack of safety uh, as well. And. That settlement happened separately in court, and then the office of the inspector general has said, "Okay, well, we're also going to look into this because this is part of, you know, their job." And and the sort of findings were that um, the police department was not recording timestamps at these really critical intervals, uh, and and I believe sort of it, it's like nearly half the time, you know, they're not mm-hmm. recording these 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 key bits, and so. You know, the the final conclusion was basically we don't have the data to actually assess the things we want to assess. And uh, the ACLU, which was representing Austin in that lawsuit, basically said that, like, okay, well, it seems like even if the city is going to release this data and make it public, it's not actually going to be useful. We don't actually know what's what's going to happen. Now, there's like a running joke when I was a kid. We tried our best to uh, sort of teach each other, like, when do you call 911? What are you calling 911 for? But there was just always a running joke when I was growing up that if you want 911 to get there with any sense of urgency, then you need to get on the phone and sound like a white woman. In some in some case, that that's the only way that you were going to get your call. And so this is a reminder for people that the the conversation around police reform isn't sort of one size fits all or it's not one sided. We know that some people want to uh, take money away from the police to take those resources and invest them in other non 
police responses um, for for mental health, for for other calls in the city. But for the people who do want police in their communities, there's still issues that need to be addressed because for decades, people have been saying that in certain neighborhoods in this city, on the far south side, far west side, that if you call the police, the likelihood that they will even show up for you is less likely than other neighborhoods. And this data I think the heartbreaking part is that we still can't conclusively say if that's true because they're not even keeping track of this information. One of the things I thought was really interesting about this report too, Jacoby, was they also spoke with several community organizations about, um, again, that sort of perception of 911 response and sort of what people do when they call 911. So for example, like again, one of the most interesting findings to me was when they were talking to folks in community Folks would say like, oh, we have noticed that often we we think we're going to get a faster response if we report there's a gun present, right? Even if there's no gun present. So in a domestic violence call, for example, mm. you know, people might be incentivized to say, oh, there's a gun here, even if there isn't. And what is and then the OIG, the inspector general went back to the Office of Emergency Management, the dispatcher and said, hey, we were hearing in community that people will say there's a gun even when there isn't. And emergency management said, oh, yes, we know that that happens. And we often there's often an instruction to see. We we talked to to CPD about that to say, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a gun reported, but we don't know if there's you know what I mean? So it's this there is this like interesting dynamic that is unfolding of people trying to get the services, get the response that they need and then trying to game this game it for lack of a better way of, of, of putting it, you know, they're trying, they're, they're trying to make up for what is a, what is a lack. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have those very same services understanding that, you you know, it's just this, it's, it's this very complicated dance that's happening and just trying to get this to unfold. Another thing that I thought was interesting in the report as well is the lack of data doesn't have geographic disparities. So for example, it's not like there is a more of a lack of data that that the these response times are not being recorded on the south and west sides. They're not being recorded on the west side, the south side, the north side. Not being recorded anywhere and and it says the like you said depending on the sort of urgency of the response, there seems to be some correlation there, right? If it's something where people might be in danger, 71% of the time they're sort of marking their timestamp. But if it's, you know, something on a more of a level two level, then you're, you're starting to see that thing fall precipitously. Which is, which is interesting because, you know, when asked about these findings, you know, CPD, emergency management, the Office of Public Safety, they basically said, well, officers are scrambling to respond to these emergencies. Of course, they're not going to, you know, it, it's going to be hard to do, essentially do the paperwork, right? Do the, do the checking off of the boxes or, or what have you. But again, as you point out, the audit, the inspector general found the opposite. The higher the priority of the call, the more likely this data was going to be recorded. So yeah, it's sort of a lot of little interesting threads um, that all kind of get at you know, I think what is a fundamental safety concern for most Chicagoans, when I call 911, is someone going to come baseline? Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how Larry Snelling, if he is confirmed this week, um, you know, what his plans are for that. And his meeting with the public, which was a first of its kind meeting in Chicago where the public got to ask the the forthcoming um, superintendent the, these questions about 
technology, about response times, about the consent decree. A lot of people felt that Snelling gave some very political expected answers. Um, but I, I imagine his feet will be held to the fire. Also worth noting, too, um, in that report as well, that uh, CPD is expected to sort of onboard a new system that will sort of automate some of that, like, lo- you know, yes, we have responded to this or we've received this or the location, we are on our way. Some, some of that stuff will be automated under this new system, which the inspector general says will probably improve things a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, there are some, still some questions about like other parts of it and it's not going to be in, enacted in t- for another six months. And so that's the other thing with all of this. And, and you know, when we talk about a new police chief coming in, uh, you know, so many of these things are, are long term, slow, uh, yeah. incremental um, uh, changes that come along and you're trying to trying to make sense of it. And you're like, what is this new person going to do? But you also have to remember that, you know. It's only one, one, one police superintendent in a long line. From the Chicago Police Department to a topic that brings a lot of people across the city, uh, probably an equal or maybe a similar amount of nightmares, student loans. For tens of millions of Americans, including me, who collectively have over $1 trillion in student debt, the pandemic-related payment pause is slowly coming to an end. Interest on our loans has already restarted accruing as of September 1st, and payments will be required sometime in October. Uh, I imagine some of y'all probably are still confused and got a bunch of questions about who services your loans and where to find that out. What happens if you don't pay? Uh, Well, we want to hear your questions. Send them to us at 773-780-0246. Again, that's 773-780-0246. And we will drop an episode to answer all of your student loan questions. Uh, Simone and I also got questions that we need answered. Uh, So we're going to put a huge list together, bring a guest on that will calmly hold our hands and walk us through this. Uh, And we know this is critical because, Simone, where does Illinois rank in terms of, you know, the people who need not only help on their student loans, but but a little bit of uh, uh, some some financial assistance? They They need some of this to be wiped off the books. Yeah. So before the Supreme Court struck down the Biden administration's loan forgiveness uh, plan, which was going to wipe out sort of in one fell swoop uh, debt for for many, many borrowers, Illinois was top in the nation for forgiveness applications. More people in Illinois than in any other state were like, yes, we need this. Um, We also know that uh, at the time, you know, Illinois was seventh in terms of the amount of debt held overall from student Mm -hmm. loans. Um, So this is a huge issue for for folks here in Chicago and and elsewhere in Illinois, you and my you and me included. So, yeah, we want to hear your questions. Uh, Please leave us a voicemail. That's at 773-773. 780-0246. Um, as I've said previously on the show, I'm always I'm always checking, I'm always listening, I'm always reading the text. Yeah. Try to <laughs> there are consequences if you just ignore your student loans outright, which I've been doing for the last couple of years and need to stop because it can have huge impacts on your credit and other things. We're going to talk all about that in an episode. So please, please, please send your questions, your concern, your confusion, or your student loan horror story. If you just want us to hear how terrible this has been, uh, we will package that all up and we will personally email it to the Biden administration so they can they can hear <laughs> why you need relief like the rest of us. And we'll we'll see if it, if it has any impact. 
We're not going to email it to the Biden administration. We're but not. It's a nice we're thought. not. <laughs> we're not. I thought that would just be like a little more incentive. Earlier this summer, we talked about the Chicagoland Creature Championship from our friends over at WBBM. And after three rounds, we have finally gotten down to our final two contestants. The results will be out sometime this week or next. Uh, But we wanted to update y'all on how the brackets went. Uh, Simone, you want to talk about how round one went? Round one was... uh... Chonkasaurus, who was our our first seed against uh, the Grundy County pot-bellied pigs uh, when Chonkasaurus uh, beat them pretty handily. We had the piping plovers who turned them into bacon, turned them into bacon. It really did. Really did. Uh, Piping plovers, which was my pick, um, took out your pick, which was the peregrine falcon that was attacking visitors in the loop uh, in the Battle of the Birds. (laughs) I wish this was an actual fight because ain't no way no piping plovers <laughs> is getting down on a falcon. Maybe that's why I picked them because I just thought in a head-to-head, the plovers is cute, but they're damned. And then the other two uh, sort of folks who came out, of, the other two ones that came out ahead, the Lincoln Park Zoo lion cubs, which again, those are zoo animals. Those are not. <laughs> you didn't love it. You didn't love wild it. Wild creatures in Chicago and the part foxes, which I think um, folks are really excited about. Yes, the foxes did give a Packer-sized beatdown to those Lake County bears. And the the zoo lion cubs came out over the Niles cow, which the folks over at WBBM were not happy for. Uh, we set up a round two head-off between the piping plovers and chonkasaurus. And Chonkasaurus went down in the river to the animals that have dominated summer headlines for years and years. There's a reason we had to do a whole episode about the the Montrose Beach piping plovers. We did not do an episode about Chonkasaurus. We did not do an we episode about the zoo cubs uh, or even the foxes who uh, turned out to be to to win out over those over those lion cubs. That that was a sleeper pick. That was a sleeper pick. Them them foxes. I didn't realize that there there were like six of them found yeah. in that little den in in Lurie Garden. I thought it was somewhere around three or four. But the no, idea there were babies of just too. A little. I, I knew there were some small ones, but I the babies. But I thought it was only like three or four. But I didn't realize it was a whole little a little six family in there. But the idea of a mama fox and six little baby foxes just running around Millennium. Park. In this final between the plovers and the foxes, I'm hoping the foxes went out. I think they deserve I think they deserve a, a little more attention, some more stories, some more pictures, some more headlines. The plovers got a whole movie. Like I said, my pick initially was the, were the plovers. <laughs> you still um, riding with the plovers? I feel you. I, I, you know what? I, I it's uh, again more and more this summer. I said it when I when when we first had this conversation. I'll say it again. More and more this summer, I have leaned into my bird person tendencies, uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, we the the plovers again have this like this the story is just so good. You have the love story with Monty and Rose, who have since passed their offspring, Imani, returning uh, to to Montrose Beach in April. Um, I believe, you know, the, the plovers have since left. You know, they're migrating back south. But, uh, and just the, the presence of even more plovers uh, in South Shore as well. It, it Just this just this beautiful story. Don't get me wrong. I love a fox. Foxes are adorable. <laughs> but you know what? I'm here. I'm here for the plovers. I, I, I that was my pick to begin. And now we're going to see. We're going to see who wins, Jacoby. I think it's going to be the plovers. I think there's there's no stopping this train, Jacoby. <laughs> 
Nah, I'm going to take the Foxes. Well, we're down to the finals, the Plovers versus the Foxes. Who do y'all think should win? Obviously, Simone is going with the Plovers. I can't, I can't be with you, my G. I can't be with you, but I can. Thank you for making time for another fantastic morning here on the mic with me. Hey, thanks, Jacoby. Before I let you go, a quick update. The results are in from WBBM Chicagoland Creature Championships, and the winners are the Piping Plovers. Yes, Simone was right. I just spent a whole morning speaking to her about why I thought these Foxes was going to win for the results to come in right when we get off the microphone. Simone, you were right. Congratulations to all the people who voted and all the people who love the Piping Plovers. And now, some good news. The Chicago Sky are officially in the playoffs and will take on the number one seed Las Vegas Aces in the first round beginning tomorrow night. It's a best of three series with the first two games in Vegas, so keep your fingers crossed for one more game at Wintrust. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Make sure you're reading along with our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. We'll talk to you bright and early tomorrow. Peace. <laughs>